Yo, what's up, you guys? It's me, Odara Swinney, host of No Money, Mo Problems. Um, and I'm back again to talk about equity compensation. So um, I think that all of us are aware, <laughs> you know, of really the the volatility that we've seen inside of the market. And for a lot of young individuals or just for a lot of individuals in general, a lot of people, you know, they get compensated with equity or i.e. equity compensation. So that would be, you know, restricted stock units or employee stock purchase plan or for um, some individuals that, you know, would look like non-qualified stock options or ISOs. But for the most part today, I just want to talk a little bit about the ones that are a little bit more common for people. You know, that being RSUs or ESPP or the ESPP program. And uh, in the wake of seeing, you know, the market down 20 percent past this past Friday, um, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are asking a couple of questions whenever they're seeing the value of the shares that were, you know, granted to them that have even vested, you know, seeing such a sharp decline. You might ask yourself the question of like, well, what should I do? Like, what can I do moving forward now that my company stock price has, you know, taken a significant hit. Um, the first thing that I would say is that there's probably um, a chance for a potential tax saving strategy. So, you know, that would look a little like, you know, as what we would say as tax loss harvesting. And uh, I think sometimes people forget that you should be able to effectively, you know, optimize your financial plan under any market condition. So we're not only just looking for, you know, great returns or um, all-time highs for a lot of different reasons, but another one would be you can take advantage of the losses that you have. Um, so actually recognizing some of those lots that have vested to you that are at a loss, um, what happens? You know, what, what happens when you recognize that loss? Whenever you recognize that loss, one, um, you get a you know, free up some additional capital for you to then diversify out of that concentrated position that you're in. But two, um, that loss that you recognize, you could recognize that loss. So that can offset some of your taxable gains within this year, within this upcoming taxable calendar year. Or additionally, um, if you do have losses that are above the threshold that you can recognize uh, within one taxable year, you can carry that forward for um, future years to come. So not only are you able to diversify out of the concentrated position that you're in, but second, you'll have the ability to lower your taxable liability. Um, the second thing that I would say uh, that, I, you know, what we should learn from all of this is, you know, confirmation bias is one hell of a drug. <laughs> Like confirmation bias, man, will I say that thing will get you. Um, I think that, you know, with with us coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, having the um, the crash of March 2020, which is crazy, it's more than two years ago at this point. So with that coming and then second following, you know, having one of the best bull markets in history, um, I think, you know, investors had an, a very unrealistic out outlook or i would say really unrealistic view of investing in general there's a really great quote from bill gates um this was inside of uh morgan housel's book uh the psychology of money if you have not read that you should read it uh, probably one of the best finance books out there ever but i just think in general it's one of the best books period um so inside of the book he uses a, a quote from bill gates and bill gates says um success is a lousy teacher it seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. And I think I, I think we've all seen this within the last few months or over, over the last few weeks that people had this, this unrealistic reality of what investing actually was. Um, 
you know, I always use sports analogy. So there's this guy in the NBA for you guys that don't know. His name's Cameron Payne, which this probably even adds into the analogy. But Cameron Payne is a he's a role player. Um, you know, he's not really like he's not great. Uh, I mean, he's great compared to us, but he's not a great NBA player in general. Um, and the Suns were playing against the Lakers, and you know who's on the Lakers, the GOAT. <laughs> Le GOAT, maybe. We might say Le GM, Le GOAT, LeBron James, the bad man out of Akron. And he was talking noise to LeBron. Like, he was talking crazy. He was jawing, going back and forth with LeBron. And, and there was a really, I think this was a really cool moment because as LeBron's sitting on the, as LeBron's sitting on the, the bench, he, he, he tells Cameron Payne, he's like, hey, stay humble. Like, stay humble. He's like, don't forget a year ago you were sitting at home. Stay humble. And, 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 and it's, it's almost, it's, it's almost astonishing when you think about, yeah, yeah, wait, 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 wait. We're talking about Cameron Payne. Like Cameron Payne is best known in the NBA for his dances he would do with Russell Westbrook before games. Like, like it's not, it's not the, the game seven, uh, 50 point piece that LeBron had, or it's not the three, one comeback series that LeBron had, or it's not the, the, what is it? The, the 45 point special against, uh, the bad boy Pistons of 2004, 2005. Like, like this, this guy's best known attribute is dancing before a game with Russell Westbrook. Like, like that is what people really know Cameron Payne for. And this same guy was talking noise to the greatest NBA player to ever touch the floor. Where am I getting at with this? This is the same way that some individual investors, you know, your Robinhood investors, your, um, I don't know, your TikTok investors, Joe Schmo at the office, whoever it is, um, whenever they started talking kind of no, I don't want to say sweet, but they, they started talking like like they kind of, you know, they knew what was going on. Saying things like, you know, Warren Buffett's washed up. Like, come on. Like, how many times do we have to go through this? <laughs> like, like, when are we going to realize <laughs> that I think this guy knew what he was talking about um, whenever it came to his investment theory? And he told this guy to stay humble. Like, like just because of this one event. This one event, this one game that Cameron Payne had where he might have been cooking, you know, he might have had, you know, maybe 20, 23 points. It might have been his career high. He decided to talk to the greatest NBA player to ever live. Like it does, it does not make conceptual, like it does, conceptually it does not make sense. And I think this, this is the same, this is the same thing that I want to, you know, really apply to some of our investment strategies or our investment theories, even if we don't recognize it as such. Um, and for some people, they, they might see the, the individual like Cameron Payne and, you know, you, you see someone like LeBron and, and just in our culture and really just movies or whatever it is, like we, we love the underdog story. I get it. Like the underdog story is really compelling, you know, it's triumphal, like it sounds good. Um, but whenever it comes to my finances, I do not want an underdog story. <laughs> Like, I don't want anything close to an underdog story. I don't want a Rocky. I don't want, I don't want it to be no picture perfect movie. Like, I want it to be like genuinely very boring. Um, you know, like if anything, I would say like, I would want my, my, uh, investment portfolio, investment portfolio to look like, uh, you know, LeBron James career. But at the same time, LeBron James is like six foot eight, uh, 265 pounds, uh, 
with just all the athleticism in the world <laughs> that's more like that's more like being a trust fund kid and investing smartly afterwards but <laughs> all in all like like I, I don't want my investment portfolio or i don't want my finances to have an underdog story and that's what we try to take upon ourselves whenever we view investing or we view financial decisions like oh i know that this specific thing will do this and that but none of that is backed by fundamental analysis you're gambling like th- these are all speculations that you're making for something that is so important like your financial picture like if you were able if you were so sure that your company stock was continuing to grow and you had all of those validations that you validated yourself why were you not able to recognize whenever the price would fall like it's a genuine question like why were you not able to have the same analysis to recognize when the stock price would fall okay well i hear that you're gonna tell me well odaro this is just a short-term thing i.e odaro you're supposed to be a long-term investor like yeah no i understand that so then your response i'm sorry i gotta argue with someone no one else is here (laughs) but your response to that would would then be well i'm gonna hold on because the stock price is gonna have to recover like you don't you hold on well once again as i said in the past people um you take you take other solid investment um strategies and you apply them to things that are just wrong <laughs> like a buy and hold strategy is talking about a diversified portfolio not an individual stock your company's stock price might not ever return to what it was in december it might not ever return to what it was at its all-time high. And I think it's really hard for people to understand this sometimes because whenever you think about the stock price, you think that is a direct correlation to your company's, I guess you can say, uh, business health. And that's not true. That is not true. You can be gainfully employed and your company stock price can still plummet. <laughs> like your, your company stock price might not ever return to where it is. And you, and you will, you know, still make a good living. There's, that's still a really good potential. Um, you don't believe me? Like, well, as a great example, let's talk about a company like Gap, a really well-known company, a great company, great clothes. Um, y'all, you know, I mean, I might, I might, Get some of that new Yeezy Gap. <laughs> I might on this next <laughs> on the next video. I might be sponsored by Yeezy Gap or something like that. No, I think that might be against like the disclaimers or something. But 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 with, with Gap stock price, Gap their high, the high of their stock price was February third of two thousand. Like February third of two thousand was the highest that their stock price was ever. Um, it closed at $52.88. This past Friday, um, the past Friday of me recording today, <laughs> the company's closing price or the stock price was at $10.93. Like, hold on, hold on. A 20, like over a 22 year difference in this stock price is still not recovered, but it's not like Gap has closed the doors down like you know like i listen i don't know the full the full extent of their of their uh, of the company's business model i don't know how many stores is closed or closed or that has opened over the last 20 years or how much growth they've seen over the last 22 years but all i know is i still see gap close on shelves i know people are still employed by gap i know there's executives who are highly compensated through this company gap but their stock price never returned and that can still be a reality for whatever company you work for um so if your reasoning um, for holding an individual stock 
is not backed by fundamental analysis, you are speculating or you're gambling. It is not rooted in fundamental analysis. If you are not reading the books, if you're not analyzing the cash flows of the company, if you're not looking at other competitors inside of the industry to see what the, what the fair market value is of your company stock, then you're, you're speculating. Like it is a speculation. There's no guarantee. Like I, I, and the last thing I want to say on this, because I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like I'm beating a dead horse, but if you're not able, if, if you've never, if you've never come to the table or, you know, had a conversation about your company stock being overvalued, I think that's a clear sign. Hey, yo, homie, it's time, it's time to start selling the Mars shoes upon vest. Like it's time to start liquidating the Mars shoes upon vest because obviously there's no analysis behind your decisions. Um, so how should you, how should you view your equity compensation moving forward? Um, let's talk about ESPP first, employee stock purchase plan. For those that don't know what an employee stock purchase plan is, it's basically your employer allowing you to purchase in or um, purchase into this plan similar to you know, your 401k in some ways, where it, it comes from your, um, from your payroll or it comes from your paycheck on a um, biweekly basis. So you're basically putting money into this pool, and on this purchase date, the company allows you to purchase the company stock at a discount, at a 15% discount. So um, what I would say is, you know, continue to participate in your ESPP. Like even though your company stock price might plummet, you still get a discount on the fair market value, and there's still look back periods. Like companies will, um, employers will allow you to, you know. Take advantage of the uh, uh, to actually purchase the stock price at the lowest amount over that six year time frame or wh- whatever the purchasing time frame is for the for the company that you work for. So c- continue to participate in the ESBP because in addition to that, um, you know, with high yield savings accounts not really giving the the best rates, I guess you can say. Um, even, even in this, ana- or the scenario that I'm giving, even if your company was giving you a 15% discount on, um, your employee stock purchase plan, let's say you were to, you know, sell or liquidate, um, the second you have, um, the ability to, you know, after blackout periods or once they vet, wh- whatever it is, um, let's say you, the, the taxes that you paid for within the short term, um, took away 5%, right? From the 15% discount that you had. That's still a 10% gain. I, I, I would, I would pay a lot of money for someone else, um, or for you to find any other, um, account or any other financial mechanism that you can get in guaranteed 10% gain. <laughs> like, like it is, it is literally free money. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I can put this in the show notes, but I, I would really say that after, you know, receiving your company match within your 401k, the, the, Arguably the second most important, um, bucket to fill as far as, you know, buckets to fill for your financial independence or reaching retirement, I would say is your ESPP plan because it's, it's a guaranteed return on your investment. Um, if you are liquidating once you actually have, uh, the opportunity to purchase those shares. So the second thing, um, or the second um, form of equity compensation that I want to talk about are RSUs, restricted stock units. And I've said this, I think I've been saying this for over a year now, but to reiterate, you should view your RSUs as a bonus. Like, like view it through that frame. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to deviate from that at all. Like, you got a bonus, okay? It just came in the form of equity. It came in the form of your company stock. 
now what would you do if you got a bonus like if you got like a twenty thousand dollar bonus what would your plans be like would you you know pay down any high interest debt um would you put that towards your down payment like whatever you would end up doing with the bonus is the same way that you should treat your company's rsus or the rsu package that you have and i think for you know, I'm not going to say for a lot of people, it should be, but most people, if you were to receive a $20,000 bonus, I don't think that you would then turn around and purchase $20,000 worth of your company stock, which is in theory, what you do whenever you choose to hold on to your company's RSUs. Um, I would say to, you know, really to, to make it a little bit more concise, I think the buckets that you should try to fill um, with your RSUs, the first would be any high interest debt. So that's anything I would say above seven to eight percent, um, as far as the interest rate. So, you know, this could be credit card debt, um, potentially some people with, uh, some really high interest student loans, which you should still try to refinance. Um, the second thing we be putting that money towards any short to intermediate term goals. Um, so that would look like a down payment, um, money that you don't want to expose to market volatility. Um, or that could even look like a vacation that you have planned for your family um, or a graduation trip for you and your spouse or whatever it is. Any of those short to any immediate term goals. And then the third would be if you don't have um, any high interest debt or if you do not have any short to any immediate term goal, the third thing would be to liquidate those shares and reinvest it in an outside diversified account. Um, so that's what I would say. That's how you should really view your RSUs. That's how you should view your ESPPs. Um, now with all of that being said, I hope that you guys were able to find this valuable. Hopefully you found this education, um, applicable to your situation. If you ever have any other additional questions or is there anything that you want me to touch on in any of these episodes, uh, just reach out to me on my website, nomoneymoproblems.com. Don't forget to subscribe there. Follow me on any of my social media platforms at Odarai Swinney. Um, shoot me a DM, whatever it is, reach out. And I'm always more than willing to, um, really just talk with anyone. So, uh, once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to No Money Mo Problems and I'll talk to you guys later. Peace. Odara Swinney is an employee of PlanCorp. All opinions expressed by Odaro and any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of PlanCorp. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of PlanCorp may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.